I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo here by myself for at least a few seconds because Sam Monson will be joining us. It's really minor league Steve. Sam is dressed up as minor league Steve. Let's bring him in. Let's go go and get him. If you're watching here on YouTube, just get ready. I think it's going to be a treat. I hear people cackling in the <laughs> So here comes Sam minor league Steve is here. That's that's actually an incredible representation. If you're listening on our uh, wherever you're listening to podcast, I guarantee you're going to want to. Uh, All right, I'm ready to see baseball. YouTube. <laughs> you're ready to baseball. Look at this. Look at your accessories. You didn't want the Oakleys? Oh, I didn't even see those. The Oakleys are over there too. We can have somebody get those, those for you. You got there a bat. Go. All right. You've got Steve's glove. Ooh. Yeah, you got to wear the glove the whole show. Is that yeah, how we... but I'm going to take this thing off because a it's really hot and b it's the Which size jersey? of a tent. Did you you didn't wear the turtlenecks? No. The Mariners turtlenecks. No, no, no. I figured it would be funny that if you just saw like the neckline <laughs> plunge down to the the midriff somewhere. That's great. Yeah, give me a second. Which pants did we have there? The uh, Brewers pants. So it took me a second to realize that the pants are not supposed to be like trouser length. You know, they're supposed to be knee length because when I put them on, they were like regular pants. So I was like, yeah, yeah, these aren't that bad at all. Up. Yeah, you pull them up. And then I just realized that, I never, that I seem... never had pants that actually fit me lengthwise, believe yeah, it or not. Yeah. I, I, I do believe that. So when I put them on, I was like, these these kind of fit okay. And then I was like, hang on, that shouldn't be right. <laughs> There's no way Steve's pants should be fitting. Oh, yeah, they're supposed to go to the knee. <laughs> no, they really Whew. they really are supposed to fit, but I was just, you know, they couldn't find stuff yeah. for me. That's you, like the, you like the hair? The hair is incredible. Right? That's the jock wig that you found? The jock wig, yeah, yeah. I didn't expect to find, you know, a wig that wasn't going to take some serious modification, but it turns out all you need is a standard jock. We need a, um, we're going to need a minor league coach in here to inspect your facial hair. There is no facial is, hair allowed yeah. below the lip. It's clearly a little bit, you know, it's stretching the rules, yeah. but I don't have the best cheek coverage in the world. So I figured for the joke, I would be better off pushing the boundaries <laughs> and, you know, waiting for somebody to come and call me on it rather than you know err too far up here and ruin the gig oh this is fantastic what are we talking we're gonna we're gonna talk some nfl at yeah, some point here. i mean but this is the podcast this is great by the way these shoes they, these are ridiculous like these things look at i mean they're clown feet size 16 only 16 16s yeah. okay yeah i the could cleats. probably put these on with my shoes inside them. cleats are a little worn but uh all black i always went with the all black yeah. Cleats, yeah. Well, you're an old school one. guy. Yeah. Right, not flashy. You got the Barry Zito stirrup socks there. Uh-huh. uh-huh. You got my Milwaukee Brewers pants. Yeah. Big league pants. Right. Giants jacket. Yeah. It looks like you got the Nashua Pride jersey on underneath. Sure. 
and you neglected the Mariner's turtleneck that I, 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 that I offered. Dude, it's, I mean, unless you... I told you to turn you it down turn in it. here. Somebody did day. turn it down, but it's still, it's still way too hot for a turtleneck. From the side, it kind of, it kind of like, yeah, <laughs> this is weird. What if I had a twin? <laughs> like the Danny DeVito twin from Twins, you know, yeah. where you get all the, 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 the Arnie genetic stuff. You're nine foot tall and, oh. you know, 300 pounds and a minor league baseball career. And this was the genetic stuff that got left over. This is great. me. And then uh, you've got the uh, the Father's Day uh, prostate cancer. Oh, that's uh, what wristbands. These are. I see. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. would always give us some, you know, some blue wristbands for prostate cancer. Okay. And uh, I, I see you're rocking the the C two forty three. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Is that always your? Yeah, that's that my weapon of choice. choice? Yeah, right. yeah. Smart. Mm. Um, I think my my triple A hit did come with the two forty three. C two forty three. That okay. was my. That that looks a lot more used than I would think you owning a baseball bat would be. It wasn't mine. Ah. This is what you chose. I gave you an option. You could no, have no, had the fine. Seat, I mean, you know. well, look, it was worn in. I don't yeah. want a new one. I mean, I had a maple and I had a uh, another black ash bat. But you chose this ash. It's a good one. It's got uh, eight grains, nine grains. It's really good. The fewer the grains, the better. What are the grains? The grains of wood. If you count the lines there, that's how many grains oh, it takes to, uh, to make the bat. And the, the less you have, the more likely it is to, uh, to not break, hmm. to stay straight. Okay. Like Ichiro had like a four-grain bat one time from Mizuno. Huh. All right. So this is great. It's minor League Steve is here, and we're going to talk some NFL. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's and go. I got your coffee for you. Thank you. You're Thank all you. ready to go? Yeah, I wasn't going into a shop looking like this. Oh, I mean, man. even without the baseball stuff, just the facial We'll have to hair. go out after. Just the facial Let's go get lunch. Really. <laughs> lunch on me only if i can wear the wig oh definitely the wig yeah nobody would ever know you might need a couple more shows of that yeah uh, so i was upstairs in the the office the main office waiting for you to bring all the crap in and throw it in a room somewhere and you know a few of the people the non the, the non-podcast listening members of pff um disgraceful that there are some but they exist upstairs obviously had no idea what was happening and i'm sitting there with this facial hair and this wig on and uh one of them kind of walks out of the room in front of me obviously clocks and gives it this look of you know what in god's name is that person doing <laughs> sitting there looking like that and you know me just found it more funny they don't know you them. they yeah. don't know and of course i found it funnier to just let them you know think yeah. that i would voluntarily rock this is like a life choice that's what i do too i mean look Same this thing. isn't a million miles divorced from how austin gale rocks into the office on a daily basis it's true it is true you got some it's like a, you're you are a combination of me and austin all in one yes so, yeah, you're looking good. I'm going to get a couple pictures here as we're going. Oh, great. Um, let's talk some NFL. Okay. Uh, we, I apologize for the Monday podcast, which became outdated pretty quickly once Aaron Rodgers showed up for, for camp. Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, it's just, I'm taking L's all over the shop this week. We've got this, right? That's a win. Oh, explain, why are we doing this again? Why are we doing what? Why are you dressed up like oh. minor league Steve? Explain to the people. I meant to <laughs> we mention We raised that money for charity. Um, we raised, as of right now, $1,615 for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the Tri-State Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, to this is, what, this is what we're doing on the PFF NFL podcast these days. We raised the first sum of money. It was you rocking the Afro. That was the Fro show. Um, and then we've raised this amount for the Make-A-Wish. This is me dressing as minor league Steve. Now it's your turn again. The that next wig one is really perfect, though. Yeah, it's good. It's like the next one will will be your forfeit again. But we're going to start raising money. You know, every we'll do one of these drives. We'll raise money. We'll hit a goal. We'll do the forfeit, and then we'll start all over again. Ideally, with the other person 
having to suffer through the indignity of whatever it is we decide. So I'm next. Yeah. For whatever the so you're next. indignity is. We will uh, we'll wait until this podcast goes up. Maybe we'll get some last-minute donations. Head to my Twitter, PFF underscore Sam. It's the pin tweet. If you still want to give money, there's uh, still a bit of time. Then we'll wrap this one up. We'll set up a new GoFundMe, and we'll uh, raise some more money. All right. This is awesome. And uh, like I said, if you're listening from a podcast standpoint, I know it's not great to just hear it. So go check it out on YouTube, the PFF NFL podcast, because it's worth seeing what I looked like about 10 years ago in the minor leagues. Mm, after being ill for an extended period of time. <laughs> after losing, losing four X's. Losing some weight and everything. Yeah. Uh, so NFL stuff here. Yeah. So as I was saying, taking L's all over the place, dressing like this. Ireland lost to the USA in the Olympic Sevens rugby. Very close game, but we lost. Bit of a bad, bad week. Oh, for this Ireland. is a rough week Not for good. you, huh? Now, look, this is only seven, so don't get too excited. The last time we played in 15s, you got waxed by like 50 points, but not the point. Bad week. Um, and then everything I ever said about the Aaron Rodgers situation was wrong. Yeah. Everything. Start to finish. Nothing. Nothing right. None of it. So if you listen to anything I said about Rodgers and the Packers in the last couple of months since this broke, I apologize. Go listen to those episodes. Um, Go back and listen. Rodgers is back. He returned to training camp. Or, I mean, arrived at training camp, I guess, then gave a 30-minute press conference, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, the, the upshot of this is he didn't get anything out of them. There was no concession. He just came back to work. Now, you can say, all right, there was nothing there all along. This was all a figment of off-season, you know, needing to fill content, all this kind of stuff. But the 30-minute press conference was really interesting because he did not hold back in a way quarterbacks typically do he basically put it all out there exactly what he thinks exactly what he's upset about and there were varying degrees i think of how reasonable it was so his main point was look he just wants to be involved in the conversation um and this was similar to what we've heard before that's what you were right about at least yeah that's true with russell wilson and you know tom brady's been part of this and, and he made that point in his press conference that hey look i'm not asking for anything that other great quarterbacks don't already have as part of their standard operating procedure. I just want to be involved in conversations that about things that are going to affect my job, right? Um, and we've actually got a clip of, of that to play in the podcast where a guy kind of challenges him on it and says, hey, look, you mentioned all these players that you wanted to have an input in. You would have been wrong about most of those. Like these guys either didn't live up to the contract, didn't, you know, didn't justify what you would have wanted to do with them so why like why would you be why should you be part of this conversation essentially and he had a really interesting take on that um we'll play the clip for you right now and then give you a little bit of a reaction when it comes to personnel stuff it's not all personnel stuff that i'm talking about i just want to be involved in conversations that affect my ability to do my job and it's not all personnel but i think i have a unique perspective of being in a locker room and having been the starter here for 13 years and being here for 16 years there's not many people who've been in a position of influence longer than I have in this building. So it gives me a unique perspective to shed light on how things work together. Uh, one of the most important things is chemistry and cohesion in an organization, and I think I can offer an interesting perspective. It's not where I need to have final say on anything. I never asked for that. I just want to be in a conversation. So what I found really interesting there is he stressed the point that, look, he doesn't want final say on this. He just wants in the conversation. And as a quarterback that's been there in the building essentially longer than anybody else, as a quarterback who's been playing at this level for that incredible period of time, it does make sense that Rodgers would have a perspective 
that is useful within that conversation, right? So whoever else is involved there, Gutenkunst, you know, scouts, um, coaches, like whoever is in that conversation, it does feel like there is something Aaron Rodgers can bring to that topic that isn't necessarily covered. I do start laughing every time I right. Look at this you. Like, is like, like the first show in reverse. Yeah. What, which moves moves was was being which moves were being referred to there? What so did he, he was, want? He was talking about well, this is where he doesn't help himself, right? So he referenced kind of some old guys that they let go: Julius Peppers, Charles Woodson, um, Jordy Nelson might have been with James Jones. Yeah, those were all the right moves. Absolutely. This those is, guys so this were, was the point this guy was making. They were old, but he also was saying, look. Part of it was I didn't agree with letting them go. Part of it was I didn't agree with how they were treated on their way out the door. And this is, again, like this idea of just let them know. Like, if you're going to draft his replacement, give him a heads up, right? It's not that unreasonable to just try and stop him getting pissed off with this stuff. And same, like, you know, if these guys are going to be moved on from, it can't be that hard to smooth the way on, on you know, as they leave, Right. Particularly like a guy like Charles Woodson, who'd been this great player for them, you know, defensive player of the year in 09. How hard is it to just be like, hey, Charles, you know, we we love what you've done for us. We really respect it. We think it's time to move on. You know, what can we do to sort of smooth the transition? So he made that point. But then he was also like, and, you know, last year they let go of the second best guy in training camp, Jake Kumaro. And you're like, oh, come on, like Rogers, that's not helping. <laughs> Whatever point you're trying to make, it's going to get lost if you bring up Jake Kumaro. I stand with the front office there. The, 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 the how they treat people thing, I can't speak to that, right? Right, but it's the an unknown, but it's something he keeps coming back to. The decisions, I get it. As a former player, as I, you could tell, I was a former player. Well, as a you're former dressed, player. You, you also as a former player. I will say as a player, I think players overrate things like training camp in our case in baseball is spring training which and is, all that stuff which and, is why i think it's fair that look he doesn't again he's not saying he wants final say he just wants to pitch his take so when they're making cut down day or whatever and they're like hey we're keeping five receivers like rogers obviously wanted to keep kumaro at least let him make the case right like have it out and then say thanks for your input aaron we're gonna dump kumaro because he sucks regardless of your you know your take in training camp thanks but, like, he, the dude just wants to be heard. He just doesn't want to come into work one day and find out that you already cut him without telling him anything. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I mean, look, they are they are they landed where they are, which is um, with a roster, I think, that is still so dependent on Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Yeah. And I don't know if GM Aaron Rodgers solves any of that. Uh, GM Aaron Rodgers just traded for Randall Cobb, even though they just drafted a Randall Cobb clone and Amari Rodgers and in the draft. Gutekunst is coming out like firing as well. Like he's coming out saying, "Yeah, yeah, we traded him because because Rod Rogers wanted him. Like this is his move, essentially. Let's see how it works." Basically, like those two. Whatever about the the various degrees of how this may have been overreported over the last couple of months, the fact that he clearly hates the GM, I think, is pretty evident from the comments he was making. Well, I mean, if you're Gutenkus too, wouldn't you just uh, you want Mad Aaron Rodgers, right? You want Mad Aaron. Oh, you so, think this is a masterstroke? Yeah, stir, you know, stir it up, stir the pot a little bit. Wow, don't okay. you think? I mean, maybe. Well, it certainly worked last year, right? Piss him off, let him let him go. Um, the other thing that was interesting to me is he was saying like, why not leverage me as a recruiting tool in free agency? And he said again, he said the draft as well, which is possibly not the most helpful thing in the world, but. I, I'm kind of amazed that that wasn't something they were doing anyway. Like Tom Brady is clearly a part of the recruiting 
like, or at least a retention effort in Tampa Bay, why would you not be using Rodgers as like a recruiting tool? Okay, Green Bay isn't a big spender in free agency anyway, so it's not like they're sending him out there to woo, you know, Joe Tooney in free agency with the monster contract. But like, whoever it is you do want, why would you not have Rodgers pick up the phone and say, hey, I come mean, win a championship? Is, it's not like Brady's out there. On, the, the two guys that he knew that the, the Bucks brought in, Rob Gronkowski and, and Antonio Brown. Yes, both of whom he lobbied for. Yeah, but, but is it like, I mean, Gronk... Gronk has been saying for years, like, I only want to play with Tom. Like, Gronk left, but even, if, even if, left Tom, went to, he left pretty much because he didn't want to play for Belichick anymore. Yeah. But if the Bucks, went to WWE, he was, my point with Gronk is he's already attached sure. to Brady. He was going to Brady. I don't know if Brady is like, you but, know, calling him all the but time. But if the Bucks wanted somebody, they would, Brady would be on the phone. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So, one, and I think that's true for basically any other. Like, shoot, Derek Carr's been out there lobbying for Devontae Adams in a trade. He's not even available, right? At, at the same this time. A standard. Why are you not involving Aaron Rodgers in that conversation? At the same Particularly time. Particularly when he wants to be. Tom Brady sat there in New England the whole time and had no say in anything. He was the opposite But do you that. think he was involved in when they wanted to get a player, let's have Tom talk to him? Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe a little bit. But, right. I mean, so everything that people are – everything that quarterbacks are supposedly fighting for, which is like personnel, input, and all that stuff, Tom Brady had zero in New England. He did not have personnel input. In fact, that was one of the reasons why he did want to leave, and maybe that's Roger's point, is by the end, the, the Patriots had a depleted offensive roster. They never really – they made a few moves for top-end receivers like a Randy Moss. They stumbled into a Gronk. Good good pick there. But it's not like they went all out. and They got a Brandon Cooks. They made a few moves for receivers through the years, but it's not like they attacked it the same way like Peyton Manning's Colts did or whatever it might be. So um, Brady kind of sat there and just – Sucked it up with not great weapons for many years and, sure. and different things but like I that. But I guarantee that if they wanted somebody in the building, like they would be asking Brady to have a conversation with that guy. Yeah. And I don't understand why you, I don't understand why you wouldn't do that as just a matter of course, a standard operating procedure, particularly when the guy is saying he wants to do that. Like he's literally offering his services to you as a recruiting tool and you're saying, Nah, you're all right. Don't worry. We got it. Got it under control. Just sit tight, Aaron. Come back in, uh, come back in July, and uh, see how we did. Players play front office, front offices. That's what happens. That's what you do. Front offices. All right, we've got a lot to talk about on the show. The athletics, uh, quarterback tiers. I like, I like a good tiered system. You, Sam, you they, know that they did their quarterback tiers just like you would have done. Cowardly tiers. Before we get into it, though, got to give a shout out to our friends over at Fantrax. Fantrax is NFL fantasy football league manager. Is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature rich platform. In the entire industry, PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. I already do, Sam. Multi-team trades, player salary and contract options, bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage, projected player rankings based off your league's custom scoring, and you can auto-generate player salaries for your league. In whichever league you're in, you can customize it exactly the way you want. If you're coming from another site, not a problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues. So sign up and play now at Fantrax.com PFF and actually get a chance to win an autographed jersey from the great Josh Allen. I need a Josh mm. Allen jersey because that might be our next little uh, fun game here. It's Fantrax.com slash PFF, the home of fantasy sports. By the way, one more thing that the Rodgers things might have in terms of an impact is it's got to make it easier to keep Devontae Adams. Like, it, but it's, it's a one year. thing. Like, sure. It's literally just a year of Aaron Rodgers. Right, and maybe that's how it works is they, they just go back for the last dance, you know, with the Instagram posts, and then they, but they're both out of here. On the other hand, 
it's a lot easier, I think, to have those conversations of, hey, look, you know, the new Copkins deal is a little bit screwy. We don't want to go there. Stay here. Rogers is here. You'll look like a superstar again and get your money. Where do you want to go next year? Do you want to go to the athletic? Uh, we can go. Let's talk about the Colts thing. Okay, let's talk offensive that's, linemen. That's interesting. Braden Smith signs a deal. Not quite the highest paid right tackle in the NFL, but right there with them. The, the two guys that signed earlier this offseason, uh, Ryan Ramchek, Taylor Mouton. Braden Smith's right up there. So now the Colts have made Ryan Kelly the highest paid center in the NFL since um, overtaken by Ragnow. Braden Smith right up there with the highest paid right tackles in the NFL. And Quentin Nelson's contract is on the horizon which presumably will reset the market for guard contracts in the NFL. The Colts are going to have about 700% of their cap tied up in their offensive line. Yeah, it's it's three it's going to be three big contracts. And then the question's going to be for And they're that, going to be paying Darius Leonard. Well, I'm just saying three big show, contracts on the offensive line out of five players, right? right? So, Eric Fisher's on a one-year deal, right? Or is it two years? Um, they're not locked up Eric Fisher's not locked up long-term. Right. Um, and then Mark Lewinsky's the right guard. It's an interesting strategy because we always talk about we we've always said creep back toward average. One year for Fisher. One year for Fisher. So next year at this time, the Colts are still going to be looking for a left tackle, and we're probably going to be mock drafting them a left tackle, you know, throughout the throughout mm-hmm. the year, right? And but they don't even have they probably won't have a first round pick. So I'll probably be saying trade for Ali Villanueva because mm. that's the only answer. Yeah. Um, but when you have three guys on a massive contract, it would be Quentin Nelson, as you said, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith. Are you going to take a hit on those other positions? Do you have to, you know, build through the draft? And we always we use the term "creep back toward average" for the offensive line. Our analytics friends will say it's a weak link system. You know, mm-hmm. just you're only as you're only as strong as your weakest link. Is it a good strategy to pay top end money for three fifths of your line, knowing that the last two? Could be iffy year to year. You can't necessarily lock those guys, right. lock those guys up. If Eric Fisher comes back and plays the same way he did in Kansas City, they're not going to give him. They can't give him a Braden Smith type of contract. Right. Um, the one thing I will say though, kudos to the NFL for paying right tackles. You know, for for guys like Braden Smith and um, other right tackles getting left tackle money, so so getting high end money. It, it, it they've they've come around. Um, I think it did start years ago for a lot of teams, but they've come around to saying, okay, we need it. I mean, everybody watches the games every week. You need your right tackle to be as good as your left tackle. Yeah, I mean, Mike Renner made the point on Twitter that the deal Braden Smith got is $2 million a year, I think more than Joe Tooney, who was the big free agent, you know, on the open market, essentially, the guy that's supposed to set the monster contract. So if you are a short-armed offensive tackle like Braden Smith, who people are saying maybe needs to kick inside to guard at the next level – you should be fighting that with every fiber of your being because if you pan out at both spots, you get at least $2 million a year more paying, playing on the outside it, than you do playing inside. It, Even at right tackle, not left tackle. Braden, it's, it's a really – it's a unique case, right? Because uh, in football, there are common position switches, right? And you usually go from a high-value position to a lower-value position, theoretically, right? You're a corner. You lose a step. You move to safety. Right. Right, you're you're a college safety, but you're too small. It's it's not a value thing, but you move up to linebacker, right? Um, so there are common moves in football. This is a, a college guard, is what Braden Smith was, a right. very good college guard in the SEC. Guards almost never move to tackle. It's just not it's just not a common move. Well, maybe people should be thinking that way rather than the other way. Like yes, 
So the um, again because because it's a baseball show here, mm. Sam. Um, there's you know baseball has the same thing, right? You draft a whole bunch of shortstops and then you move them to lower. Yeah, there you go. Grab grab your slugger. What's your stance? What's your batting? Stance you think this is like? Uh, well, I'm wondering if it's like a few good men. You know, I think better with my bat. That was Tom Cruise's line in that. So I'm just gonna <laughs> we'll just keep the bat here the whole time. See if I think better. You'll have some good. Yeah, you'll have some good takes here. Yeah. Um, so in baseball, you know, you, you, if you you get a bunch of shortstops and then you move them to second, you move a guy to third, you move them to the outfield. Right. That's mm. how you do it. In football, you just you never see you see tackles move to guard all the time. Um, but we've talked about this a lot too. If you have anybody that has any chance. To be a good tackle, do you just always train them a tackle first? And then they fall back to guard. I know they're different positions and you don't want to lose development time and all that stuff. But just always try to steal a free tackle, so to speak. And that's what the Colts did. They drafted a guard, put him a tackle, and he's one of the league's best. It's interesting because it benefits both sides at this point. Like if, if you can steal a tackle from a guy that most people thought was a guard, it's great value. Um, and it's it's a more important position. It's more valuable than the guy who's a fantastic guard, unless the guard you get is Quentin Nelson. Um, but it also benefits the player. Like if the player succeeds at tackle, he's going to make more money than if he succeeds he, if he succeeds at guard. So at this point, both sides are incentivized to make that the standard rather than the reverse, which is the way it's always been. It's one of those you know points that I mean, if you go listen to Chris Collinsworth's podcast this week, Neil Hornsby, the founder of PFF, is on it. There's sort of interesting deep dive into the history of pff but they also talk about those things of you know what did you think was the case for years in football and then just the data and the information has sort of proved to you you were just wrong <laughs> that's one of those things like the, for years everybody in the nfl has been thinking you take these tackles and you kick them inside the guard and and you win but both sides of that equation now are pointing to start working the other direction which hasn't really happened a lot yet but here's an example of it working. I will say though, even you know, using PFF war, you know, wins above replacement, there there is an argument for if you know you have an elite guard, right? The, Nel this, the Quentin Nelson, right? And that's the Quentin Nelson thing. So if you know, um, there's always that that tipping point, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like most of the data would tell you tackle over guard, but if you know you're getting a Quentin Nelson, if you know you're getting a Zach Martin, there is an argument for keeping them at guard. Yep. In general, so it's it's an interesting breakdown for the Colts and I'll repeat myself for the millionth time all this offensive line investment and my biggest concern is still on the perimeter when it comes to the Colts um it, I mean in their depth chart just you know again it's 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 some solid players T.Y. Hilton Michael Pittman Paris Campbell Zach Paschal those are the receivers right they've taken some shots on some other you know like low round draft picks who've got some freak talent and whatever uh, Mo Alley Cox had a really good year at tight ends Jack Doyle's a possession tight end it's just it's a whole bunch of middle tier type of players and that adds up to what, uh, probably a bottom 10 group of playmakers i just think it's a really interesting strategy because i mean anytime you get a team doing something extreme it's always interesting to see how it pans sure. out right just just somebody that deviates from the norm it's fascinating to to watch it and right now the colts have what is widely regarded as a very smart group of people running the organization and what's really interesting is that that smart group of people have determined that that what they should be doing is spending a truckload of money on the offensive line. Um, and we've seen this before, kind of. Like the Raiders, a few years ago, built their offensive line through free agency and you know proven established players, not the draft, which is the way most people try and do it. The Cowboys did one, then the other. You know, they drafted a bunch of first-round guys and then ended up paying them and keeping them around. So... 
it's definitely doable, but most teams don't want to commit that kind of money to their offensive line. Now, a lot of times you can't because there's only so much money to go around, and typically you've invested the biggest bulk in it in quarterbacks and receivers already, so you just don't have the money to pay the guard that's coming along. The Colts were in a position where they did because they rebuilt this thing almost from the ground up. They had the most cap space in the NFL for a time, so they actually had the money to prioritize their own players and re-signing these guys and take on a Carson Wentz type of contract. Um, but I'm just madly fascinated now that since Andrew Luck retired, they have massively dedicated themselves, committed themselves to securing a really good offensive line to protect whoever the quarterback is. Phillip Rivers comes in last year, great offensive line in front of him. Carson Wentz comes in this year, ensuring a really good offensive line in front of him. But like until you find the quarterback, does is it going to matter? I think the Colts, we talk about the Colts a lot for a team that I think is small market, right? I mean, that they're not they're well, not the, the one that the fan bases are local most interested too. in. They are local. Um, but it's because they do a lot of things that are, I think, on the extremes, right? I mean, they, they their defense wasn't great on paper a couple of years ago, but they played a ton of zone and kind of hid their corners a little bit, elevated their ability to play, took a guy like Xavier Rhodes and um, just last year put him in a zone-heavy system and, and kind of got him back on track. Uh, they Renner always talks about they have a type defensively like give me the long mm -hmm. athletic guys even if they're not the most productive players in college uh, we're just gonna we're gonna compress passing lanes and throw Darius Leonard in the middle and Bobby Okariki Okarike and all these you know similar type linebackers and see what sticks there um, they've got the offensive line investment and not a lot of receiver investment I know they you know drafted Paris Campbell and you know high and Michael Pittman high um, so maybe it's not fair to say they didn't invest there. Um, I just have but they've they done it. Continue to invest. Yeah, they've there. done it through the draft and and sort of specifically steered away from the big money free agent stuff. Right. Um, because obviously, investment isn't just a one direction thing or a one avenue thing. You can invest in free agency. You can invest through trade, and you can invest through the draft. They have invested heavily in both the draft they've done it like kind of like dallas with the draft they invested heavily in the draft and now they're paying all those offensive linemen for receivers it's only been the draft so far um, and it hasn't actually yielded that much success to that, date that's also but the old school approach which was and this is what the packers did for years and the steelers did for years which is draft and when you hit on a player just lock him up just yeah. lock up your own players and it does mitigate some risk there's some risk in free agency moving a guy from a different team to your team, not knowing how he's going to handle your system and your culture and all that stuff. Um, but it's just it's just to lock up your guys. And it does seem like that is the Colts strategy. All that said, the biggest move that they made was getting Carson Wentz, going right. somewhere else. It's just, it's really interesting because at some point you're going to, I mean. Is the bat helping? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's good. You're, you're going to have all this money tied up in the offensive line. But the really, it, the really sort of dangerous thing is that that might not actually make it a great offensive line. Like right now, I think it's our number two offensive line on paper heading into the season. But you're right. Like if Eric Fisher doesn't play well coming off his Achilles, you've got a weak link on your weak link unit that has all of the money tied up in it. Like before the Braden Smith contract, they had, I think, the third most money dedicated to their offensive line of any team in the NFL. Add Braden Smith to that, it's probably number one. Add Quentin Nelson's contract to that, it's going to be number one by a mile. And if that happens and you still have a weak link on the offensive line, I mean, that's just terrible. Like the, I mean, at the very minimum, you need to make sure the other two spots are okay. Otherwise, the whole investment was like a waste of time.
All right, we're going to get into the athletic and the, their quarterback tiers, but a reminder that our friends are back. Support for PFF is brought to you by Manscaped. Yes. The best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Is that the right sentence? Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That's right. Mm -hmm. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer. I now have a 2.0, a 3.0, and a 4.0 Wow! over at the house. Well, you can just watch the evolution in real time. Yeah. You do an ABC analysis, right. as I say. You know, see, see, it, see it grow. Join over 2 million men so worldwide speak. who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. Lost my place here. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PFF. That's PFF at manscaped.com. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. I mean, you better believe a guy that looks like this. It looks uses, like you used it on your face. That's what I'm saying. A guy like this clearly uses Manscaped products. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge, cutting, cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. That's trademarked. Mm -hmm. So good job by Manscaped. Go check it out. 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code PFF. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Yeah. They're like, they're legit. It was, it's been good. It's been good to grow with Manscaped. So to speak. And see them come back. Let's get to the athletic here. Mike Sando formerly of ESPN. He's been doing this for eight years now. And uh, it's it's one of his, it's his biggest project. Mike, friend of the show. So he goes. He's not a friend of the show. He's a friend of us. He's just a friend. Never of had him on the show. Steven Sam. Not a friend of the show. You're yeah. right. We could have him on the show to discuss the QB tiers or we could just do it's it. It's late now. It is a little yeah. late. So he goes and he, he talks to 50 NFL coaches and executives. They cast ballots. Mm-hmm. And they give some analysis on their their quarterbacks. And they put them into tiers. And again, the reason why I like the tiered system. Because you're a coward. Yes, that's part of it. Yeah. The other part is, what's the difference between 7 and 9? And six and, 6 and 12. Six places. In any given year... It's you know it's more it's more realistic analysis to say this guy is in this tier, which gives you this range of outcomes generally. And in any given year, if Aaron Rodgers is the highest graded quarterback, or it's Tom Brady, or it's Patrick Mahomes, you're like, sure, that all makes sense. They're a tier so one think, quarterback. I think if one person is ranking, I don't hate just ranking. I think if you're getting 50 people to vote, you actually get a more sensible uh, breakdown. You do if you get them in tiers. Because it's a lot easier to convey to 50 random people, all of whom think differently, and God, can you tell that from the write-ups. Uh, it's a lot easier to get them on the same page for, like, here's four to four or five different tiers than it is to try and, like, get everybody's rankings that make sense the same way. Because there are going to be people that, like, value, you know, one thing more than anything else, and their rankings are going to look absurd. And when you put that into a, you know, just a 1 to 32 ranking – that guy's ranking essentially gets lost in the shuffle. You know what I mean? It just doesn't right. make sense. Whereas when you put it in tiers, you can actually end up grouping the players together in a way that makes a lot of sense. Like I actually think when you look at the tiers here, they're kind of right, pretty much. It's the outlier votes that become fascinating. Yeah, it's I, the guys that rank somebody somewhere completely different. And it didn't really affect the ranking because right. you're just throwing them in a tier. The outlier stuff is hilarious because I, you know Sando's got the – He's got the results. I, and I'm always wondering, out of those 50, how many guys are like, well, tier one's a starter. Just give me a starter. 
and, and they're just like, right. there's, there's 15 steer, tier, tier one quarterbacks, or how many are like, no, nobody's a tier one. It's only Joe Montana. or so, you, know, you yeah, don't yeah. know. They're all working from different standards. You know what's really awkward with this thing? I think there's been maybe five days since I grew the ability to grow facial hair where I haven't had hair here. Yeah. Right, right below the lip. So I keep, in, I keep, no, no, I keep like reflexively doing this, like messing it with my teeth, and it isn't there anymore. So it, it just feels wrong. What are you going to do? So you're going to shave the rest of that off? At, at, I'm going to have to, right? There's no way I can like grow it back from I'd here. I keep the Austin stat. You, dr- you dress I mean, up I like might, Austin for Monday show. <laughs> I might, yeah, there might be another iteration between going from here and clean shaven, but I think it probably has to go down to pretty close to nothing before I can grow it back. Um, but like even when I was like clean shaven generally the little it, I, I don't like calling it a soul patch because that's usually like a like a thin right, right. triangular thing but just the hair under my lip it's a different color from the rest of it anyway so i always just kept it because it was annoying to shave and look weird but now it feels weird that's all i'm saying i don't like being minor league steve it's not a pleasant experience it wasn't always for me either <laughs> It's it's good when you're it's good when you're good. Are we gonna scout in here? Am I? Can I get drafted? It's a great look. You've got a good, yeah. The bat. It's just it's very. Yeah, natural. I mean, when you pan out here to the full shot, it's uh, it's quite. It looks. Like, it does look like you're just you know, seventies ball player showing up. Right, seventies ball player. It's had like dysentery for a week. You are closer to uh, what's his face? East eastbound and down. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's who you get compared to a lot. Yeah, yeah. They right. thought that. I stole his look when he stole mine. Yes, that's what Kenny Powers. Uh-huh. Anyway, QB tears. Uh, I, I don't want to spend another whole show on the Stafford thing, and and I also I don't want to give away all the tears. You know, it's, it's at that's the athletic. not yeah. The Stafford one isn't one of my more. Let's go through the sort of interesting outliers because that frankly is the best part of this. My whole thing on Stafford though, he tied for seventh with uh-huh. Lamar Jackson overall. Yeah. Stafford, my, my my point on Stafford is he's the tenth, eleventh best quarterback of his generation. Which was tier two. He's moving up by default. Sure, right. I think I think the most interesting story about the quarterbacks over the next three or four years is what tier two yeah looks like. Well, that, they and who's in there. They've basically nailed Stafford, right? Tier two, thirty-eight of the fifty people put him in tier two. I think he's tier three, though. Whatever. Eight. And people. I would say that there's, and I think there's, I, I think there's, there's a couple tier one guys. And then tier two is like wide open for the for the foreseeable future. It could be Josh Allen. He could move up. It could be Lamar. I mean, and then I, think, I think Stafford's always been a tier three quarterback, a high end tier three quarterback. I mean, I think tier two and three are kind of fuzzy. And I think depending on where you draw the line, you could put him in either. I don't have a problem with saying he's a tier two caliber quarterback, depending on where that line is drawn. Right. That I mean, drawing that line where Stafford is a tier two quarterback puts a lot of other people in there that people might not think are two tier, but whatever. 38 people put him in tier two, eight people put him in tier three, tier three rather. The ones that I have a problem with are the four people that thought he was a tier one quarterback because that's just patently absurd, which is the argument we had before. Anybody ranking him fourth is out of their minds. Um, but these are the fun parts. What, what's interesting as well, so he's got a bunch of quotes from people in here and you can see the difference. I love the NFL because 32 different teams, 32 different level of competencies, 32 different, and just as organizationally, but also individuals within those organizations. Like um, Rick Gosselin does these things where he goes back and pulls like scouting reports on, you know, Hall of Famers or whatever. Did one on Gronkowski today. And like GM number one, whatever, nailed him. Was like Hall of Fame. It was like amazing caliber player, phenomenal first round pick. If he'd come out, 
before this injury, he'd have been a top 12 player in the draft, blah, blah. Like, absolutely love Gronk. Had him nailed perfectly. You're like, ah, that guy sounds smart. And then there was, like, another dude who was just, like, completely out on him. Didn't think you had talent. Gresham was way better. Uh, was out on him as soon as he heard him talk. Thought he was a goofball. You know, all these kinds of things. You're like, okay, like, you, you had the same information. You just came to the opposite conclusion, and you screwed it up. Um, so on this, you can sort of read conversation or read descriptions of quarterbacks where they absolutely nail them. Like the, the description of Kirk Cousins in here, I think is phenomenal. In fact, it's worth reading. Give me a second to find it. Yeah, go get, go uh, get Cousins. Here we go. In the boot game, he's out there quick. In the boot game, he's out there quick and gets his hips around and looks good doing it, one voter said. That's why Kyle Shanahan wanted him and likes him. Contrast that to his in-the-pocket versus an on-rushing defender. At times, he looks like that equipment intern that you use in the pass rush drill during training camp who can't get out of the way. Like, perfect. That's exactly what Were Kirk Cousins is. Were you interviewed for this? No. I mean, it wasn't me, but the guy nailed it. Um, but equally then, you can you go and find other quotes. Uh, like, there's a, there's a head coach out there who had Ben Roethlisberger as a Tier 1 quarterback. Now, look. We can debate where Ben Roethlisberger is right now at this point in his career, given he's another year removed from injury and all blah, 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 right? It's, a, it's definitely a debatable ranking. But we cannot, like, we just can't, that starting point can't be tier one. Like, we can talk about where he is. Does he belong in tier two, tier three, tier four? He does not belong in tier one. It's just, that's just fact. There's just not an argument. You can't debate that. And yet one head coach believes that's where he belongs. They were 11-0 and last year, and he had a lot of touchdowns. This head coach said their defense got absolutely shredded by Cleveland. Ben completed 47 passes for more than 500 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, I can't believe that's a real answer. So those two people have the same gig, essentially. For right? those, for those just, who forgot what happened in the Pittsburgh-Cleveland game, uh-huh. it wasn't all Big Ben's fault as far as the turnovers go, uh-huh. but Cleveland got up big because there was 900 turnovers in the first half yeah. by the Steelers. And then the Browns, you know, and, and then the Steelers just threw every single down, and Big Ben threw for 500 yards. He did. He in, had a PFF know, grade of 64 in that game. Yeah, but 500 yards. Sounds legit. Right. I'm just saying, like, when you read these quotes, essentially there's two people, one of whom completely nailed the description of Kirk Cousins. And the other dude was like, Ben Roethlisberger threw for 500 yards of playoffs, ergo, he's a tier one quarterback still. Those two people have the same level of responsibility. I, I think I was, I was talking to Dr. Eric Eager about this recently, and we were talking about a little bit about the difference between an evaluator and a decision maker, right? An evaluator is these say these 50 people they they've been asked to evaluate they're not asked to make decisions for this particular exercise it's just rank the quarterbacks evaluate them where do they rank you put them in a tier and give us some analysis about them but to your initial point is a data set of 50 evaluators is really rich i mean that's a rich yeah. strong that, this is why the 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 uh, the big board the consensus board consensus draft board is pretty strong right because you have you have people from – they're taking it com- completely different angles. To your point, the extremes kind of get pushed mm-hmm. out just a little bit, and the consensus gets pushed to the top from an evaluation standpoint. The key is to have a decision-maker who, who then takes this information, right? So if I was right. the decision-maker here – it and right, the call. And I take this information. First off, the evaluator who said Big Ben's a Tier 1 quarterback and all that stuff, 
he might be unbelievable at evaluating receivers. He might be unbelievable at evaluating other people. And also, he's a head coach. It, it yeah, specifically it, says in this one. And that's fine. I mean, but the, the decision-maker's the decision maker's job here, if I was to make a decision off of this information, which quarterback do I want, who do I want to sign, who would I start my franchise with, the decision-maker parses through all that stuff. I think what happens with an NFL team, though, when evaluators – so a lot of – if you talk to NFL scouts, they're very confident – and their scouting ability. Mm. We always said this all the time at the at the combine, right? If you have a guy that has any sort of scouting history, he's just going to tell. Oh, I saw this guy. I knew this guy was a first rounder, even though he went in the sixth. Like they're just going to yeah, tell yeah. you all their hits, so to speak. And we do that sometimes too. Um, but I think scouts truly believe the only person who could be a general manager is an evaluator, is a guy that uh, has done it, has been in the trenches, has been at the schools, talking to these kids who knows these guys inside and out. But the thing we talk about all the time is there's there's not an evaluator who hits on 90% of his evaluations. It just doesn't exist. If it does, fine. I'll, I'll let that guy be my general manager because I don't need other people. But a decision maker is – the general manager is a manager. And a manager or a CEO takes information and makes the best decision off of that information. And all the evaluator's information are just a piece of the puzzle, and you have to figure out how to put it together. The Roethlisberger ranking, by the way, is not even the most egregious thing in this uh, article. My favorite one. There is a voter out there who believes that Jimmy Garoppolo is a tier one quarterback. Jimmy I'm, Garoppolo's own coach doesn't believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is a tier one quarterback. I'm, tr- I'm always trying to get into their head, right? Because he did Jared Goff get into tier ones? God, no. Because I, I, I picture that guy saying, well, Goff he's when he had Super Bowl five tier two votes. He was in the Super Bowl two years ago. He was. I'm just saying. That's what like people... his vote. His vote essentially breaks down the same way as Jared Goff's, except the one crack-smoking lunatic who thinks he's a Tier 1 quarterback. I'm actually surprised. So Baker Mayfield, all Tier 2 and Tier 3. I'm actually surprised some people don't uh, still call him like a Tier 4 or 5, you know, a low-end right. quarterback because he's short or whatever it is. You still, <laughs> you still hear height bias in a lot of people's analysis, yeah. even in some of my friends. They're just... Some of my friends in the industry who were just like, oh, it's too short. Yeah. Get away from him. I'm just surprised he didn't have some lower. And he ends up right next to Kirk Cousins, which is kind of fair. Yeah, Baker and Cousins might be similar. There, the interesting point. ones, it's you get guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, where the vote is literally all over the place. We've got a tier one vote, we've got six tier four votes. Like his vote is spread out throughout all the, the whole thing. And then you've got guys like Baker Mayfield, where everybody pretty much agrees, right? The. He's tier two or three, and as I said, that I think is the most fluid like delineation between the tiers, depending on where you draw that line between two and three. You can put most quarterbacks in the NFL into those. So it, it is kind of interesting to me, the guys that are actually consensus pretty close, like everyone pretty much agrees where they are, versus the Jimmy Garoppolo's, the Ben Roethlisberger's, the ones where the vote is spread out all over the map. Daniel Jones got a tier two vote. Daniel uh, Jones got one tier two vote, which feels okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. And one tier five vote. Like people, I think, are hating on Jones too much at this point. Now, it might not. This is one of those things where you know, old takes exposed gets tagged, and I look like a moron because I don't think he's going to have a good year because that could offensive you possibly line look like a moron. I, no, there's no way. I mean, look, look. This is the face of a man who knows what he's talking about. There's simply. <laughs> Like, he's not going to have a good year. The offensive line is too bad. There's no shot. Daniel Jones is probably not going to look good this year. But 
I don't think that's his fault. I think he's being let down at this point institutionally. And actually, he's a better player than people are giving him credit for. You know what would be every year? I, I, I say this every single year. And then at the end of the year, I'm like, well, maybe I was off a little bit. Most teams, like the last few years, it feels like 28, 29, 30 teams are happy with their starter. Yeah. They're, they're, they're good enough with their starter. It's either a guy who's established, a guy who's good enough, or a guy who they just got who just got drafted and they're you know still waiting and seeing. I, I think we're there again this year, right? I mean, the Giants are probably happy with Daniel Jones. The Dolphins, we don't really know. I mean, they're they're still figuring out Tua. The Panthers, are they happy with Sam Darnold? I mean, they they invested in him for two years, so they must be, you know, somewhat confident in him. At the end of the year, how many teams are confident? You know, where do we? That would be a good show to predict at the end of the year. Which of these teams are like, man, I really need that Spencer Rattler in the draft? Like, the, which teams are looking for a quarterback? Because other than a team like Washington, who has a very clear bridge quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick, is there anyone else on the list where it's like obvious? Or, you know, the Saints, we don't really know what Jameis or, you know, or Tamus are. You know, really, we don't know what that combo is. The Broncos, we probably expect them to be looking for that long term quarterback. Are there a lot of teams in that in that boat and who's going to be there you know bears aren't there anymore mm -hmm. uh the patriots aren't there anymore for at least a, another couple of years there so who's going to be in that tier in that group is it the giants is it uh is it the panthers you know is it these other teams is it the the eagles unless J, you know probably going to be there unless jalen hurts is really good i think that's um there's probably f less confidence now than there was in previous years in quarterbacks but i think there's still like a lot of confidence around the league a couple more outliers i think are hilarious uh there's a voter out there that thinks deshaun watson is a tier three quarterback um now they also said it didn't give quotes from that guy i don't think but it said some who argued against watson's inclusion in tier one thought the best quarterback should elevate their teams more than watson elevated the four and 12 texans they only had four wins so basically yeah. four wins therefore not tier one now that's just not tier one. I don't know what the guy who thought he was a tier three quarterback was. Unless, you know, I, maybe maybe you can say, look, high me, tier quarterbacks don't get 22 lawsuits thrown at them. That, you could say that. You could. I, look, I will say there is this, to me, there is this like, there's, there's this spot where maybe things are unaccounted for and quarterbacks do elevate or not elevate their teams. And that does exist. Um this is what we talked about on the on the PFF Daily today. We, we broke down who's the best head coach in the NFL, and you know we broke down Tage Tage's article on uh, on PFF.com, and it was you know a lot of the coaches with the best quarterbacks seem to rise to the top, and it's like all right, so may, there there probably is something about great quarterbacks that over time does elevate teams, um, but I think Watson's year was just such an outlier. Yeah, I don't think you can do it over the course of one season and say the dude won right. four games or go he doesn't elevate the level of competition. For example, because right the previous the year he head, completely elevated the Texans to a playoff team. Right. And right off the top of your head, you can think of multiple games where Watson actually did his job and somebody else screwed it up, right? Watson threw threw a game-winning pass, game-winning touchdown pass to um his slot receiver whose name's escaped me at the moment. Who then fumbled it, right? Kiki? Yeah, yeah. Cutie. Like dig route, cutie, hit him, touchdown, wins the game. Only cutie fumbled it, and they then don't win, right? Like that that's a win that Deshaun Watson should have credited back to him that you're not giving him you're just looking at oh, four wins. Why why could he couldn't elevate the people? We can't make him secure the ball after he puts it in his hand. The guy like he he doesn't have the power of telekinesis. He can't like 
you know, mind meld with Kiki Cutie and say, all right, now I've delivered you the ball. For the love of God, don't drop it over the line. <laughs> Got to elevate that team. So, yeah, I mean, there's what I would say is Watson has been the other way and actually done a good job of elevating the Texans despite the offensive line going through issues through the years, the defense falling apart over the last couple of years. And last year was such an outlier. We have not seen a quarterback great as well as Deshaun Watson and only win four games. It just doesn't right. exist in the PFF database, right? So over time, if you're going to grade 90 at quarterback, you're almost certainly going to be a playoff team. And again, the other four guys who graded at the same level were one game away from the, we're in the final four. Two more guys season. to mention. Yes. One, Sam Darnold uh, only had, where is he? Sam Darnold only had 23 tier three votes and 27 tier four votes. So this group of people that believe Sam Darnold is actually really good and the Jets just Adam Gased him and he had never had a shot, including, by the way, it seems the Panthers, evidently were not polled in this, in this straw poll or don't exist. Like the talk is out there and they, it's lip service, but they don't actually believe that because apparently of 50 voters, not one of them believes that Darnold is a tier two caliber quarterback. I still want to get Dan Orlovsky on here to discuss this because if I, I would love to see what his rankings looked like because he generally Dan generally skews positive mm -hmm. right and you get a lot of analysis where like I still believe in Sam Darnold I it, still believe in Carson Carson Wentz is a top seven quarterback I think a guy like Dan is the guy who thinks that there's there's like 28 legit quarterbacks and a couple of them are a little bit better but everyone else everyone's good um but I don't, and, and then I assumed, you know, I always make that joke, you know, somebody somebody in the league agrees, agrees with, with him, and I, I'm not seeing a ton of that, whether it's well, in Carson Wentz like, or in Darnold. It yeah, doesn't I, appear to be there, I'm according to this poll. Now, it's only 50 guys, and who knows which 50 they interviewed, but, I mean, not the people that believe that, evidently. And then the other one that I think is kind of interesting, Joe Burrow. Uh, yeah, 20, I wanted to talk about him, too. 27 Tier 2 votes, 17 Tier 3 votes, and 6 haters that have him in Tier 4. Burrow right now two games yeah Burrow right now coming back off the knee injury obviously it's training camp season everybody's getting hype Burrow's one of those people that's getting a lot of it as of right now the Burrow Jamar Chase connection in particular is already looking fantastic in training camp you know right now the winners of training camp Joe Burrow Jamar Chase CeeDee Lamb every highlight you see is CeeDee Lamb there's probably one or two others but those are like the front runners losers uh Kelvin Benjamin by the way, did you see Calvin Benjamin said he played receiver at 268? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I, that's that encouraging thinking, for a guy like me. If I, I wonder could get who back the, down to 268. I wonder like what the heaviest playing weight for a wide receiver ever has been. Ali, Ali Villanueva at Army. Not an Army. NFL, Steve. Oh, okay. We're talking about the big leagues. We don't mess with that Army stuff. But like genuine wide receiver, 268's got to be up there. That's got to be amongst the heaviest players that's ever attempted to do it. Yeah, I mean that's that's crazy. Um, that story about him stealing food or whatever though that was fake. Yeah, right? yeah. But the the actual story is so he got cut. Reunite that, that him with Jameis. Yeah, he no, got no, that no, part was real. Um, the the Giants want him to weigh two fifty one as a tight end, and he was like, "Dude, I played wide receiver at two sixty eight. Like, what are you doing?" So. They like sent, you know, the, you leave for the summer break or whatever, and they're like, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to be, all those things. So they're yeah. like, go away, come back 251 to play tight end. And he was 265 when he left and came back at 268, <laughs> having put on muscle. And they were like, what are you doing? Like, 
You were instructed to lose 15 pounds and you came back three pounds heavier. Now, his point was, look, I played wide receiver 268. How do you want me to be a lighter tight end than I was a wide receiver? And it's muscle. And, you know, and they were just like, look, no, get out of here. As a former player, Hmm. I used to think that stuff was ridiculous, right? Like the team, like it's my career. Let me, let me do what I want. But if you're at the point in Kelvin Benjamin's career. Yes. If you want to play when, you know, when they say 251, like be 251 and, and also like take that chance. If that was your argument, like a number one, I think you can make a fairly strong case that Kelvin Benjamin didn't always carry the best weight in his yeah. NFL career. Right. So let's say for a minute that, um, you know, you could have lost some of the 268 and still been a lean, mean fighting machine. Number two, if you had that problem with the instructions, talk to them at the time, right? It's like, hey, here's your walking, like here's your marching orders for the offseason. Come back at 251. That's when you say, dude, I was playing wide receiver 268. I can't get to 251. Like, let's talk about this. And then like hammer out an agreement and come back at whatever. Like maybe they'll up it by 10 pounds. But you can't like go away with instructions to be 251, come back at 268 and think there are going to be no repercussions. The thing is too, if you're Kelvin Benjamin, you, you look at the depth chart that the Giants have at tight end. It's like, well, Evan Ingram, Kyle, they signed Kyle Rudolph. Caden mm-hmm. Smith is still, you know, pretty young. And uh, Levine uh, Toololo. Levine Toololo. That don't make me say this again. Toilolo. Toilolo. There you go. Got it. Jeez, man. I mean, he's not he's not better than any of those guys right now. And your only chance is to have, like, you know, Logan Thomas may had a position switch and he kind of, you know, figured it out and – you know, helped his career. Your only chance if you're Kelvin Benjamin is this late career position switch where you just, you kind of figure it out and it, you know, maybe you don't become Darren Waller, but you have to be, for him to make the roster, he's got to be better than Caden Smith and Kyle Rudolph. And he has to have the Giants believe that he's better than those guys. So you kind of have to play their game in that respect if you're playing for that team. Now I would call the Jaguars and say, well, look at that tight end depth chart. I could I could play over there. Maybe Urban will let me play two, at 270. Plus, Urban's going to be like, well, I remember him from Florida State, so get right. him down here. Yeah, yeah, He killed us at Florida State that one time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, let's get him down here. Not I, the best week anyway for Kelvin, That's all I'm saying. That's funny. So even, the, if he wasn't, even if he wasn't stealing food from the uh, facility. So Burrow, just to wrap that up, he's 14th yeah. on this list. Which is probably fair. I'm just um, interested by the, again, it's like, I think, I think this method spits out the right result. Do this overall. one for me. The last three, last three, number one overall picks before this year, mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield, mm-hmm. Kyler Murray, yes. Joe Burrow. Yes. Kyler's 12. Don't ask me which guy I want. Kyler's 12. Burrow's 14. But Baker's what? Eight, uh, 17. Yeah. They're pretty close. Did they get that right? Is that order of those, those recent, we still need to know a little bit more about those guys. Is that one right? You say Kyler was first, then Burrow, then Baker. Kyler 12, Burrow 14, Baker 17. Maybe. I think talent-wise, again, like if, if this is, if I get the 33rd team, I'm going to have to get the, uh, I'm going to have to get the trademarks off the 33rd team if yeah. we're setting up the franchise. But if I'm getting an expansion franchise, I don't know what – like it's a random group of, of guys for supporting cast. I don't know what the coach is going to be. I don't know what the system is. I don't know how good the line, the receivers, et cetera, et cetera. You're just plugging a quarterback into that mess. 
I probably want Kylo Murray of the three. Uh, I think Burrow has a ceiling that's comparable. I think Baker might need a bit more help than those guys. That being said, if I'm projecting what 2021 is going to look like for the three, I think Baker Mayfield has the best year. Yeah. And I think, honestly, it might not be close. Like, Baker Mayfield might comfortably have the best year because that environment he's in now is phenomenal. Yeah, and I think he's not... He isn't a product of the environment, but he's certainly capable of taking advantage of it. I think for me to 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 get back on the Baker train, so to speak, I need him to have a tier two quarterback type of season, which is within a tier one situation. Within a tier one situation, which is that's Matt Ryan, you know, mm-hmm. who had an MVP caliber. Twenty sixteen it, Ryan. It's play like Matt Ryan. It's play like Big Ben for much of his career. Play like Russell. As good as Russell Wilson is right now, he's been a tier two quarterback for the majority of his career. I'd say. I think Baker has that in him. Yeah. Um, I still need to see that. I think Burrow can definitely be a tier two quarterback. I, I think Murray's the one I might have the most question marks about, but I think that the rushing ability, having six to eight hundred yards on the ground every year, yeah. just offsets And that's why if I'm picking his, one his inability to throw the ball over the middle of the field, which is just a major concern for me right now. Yeah, and it's why if I'm picking one in a neutral situation that I have no idea what it looks like, that's what I want to start with. Murray's really interesting because like this is a make or break season for him I guess but it's also like he he doesn't have a settled situation in terms of Cliff Kingsbury still trying to figure out what that offense needs to look like like yeah that's evolving that's moving as Kingsbury figures out what the NFL is all about and how his system should attack it and also not just adjusting his system to the NFL but he has to adjust it to Kyler Murray as well so we look at we look at this and it's like Kyler Murray's got to show it now but you're like, is that offense even capable of doing it yet? Like this idea of we play left wide receiver with New Compkins 99% of the snaps. We don't move him around because we like the tempo it lets us do. Like why? That's not helping. Like if you look, the Cardinals ran the second fastest tempo essentially of any team in the NFL last year. Um, a tenth of a second on average on the play clock behind the Falcons. But their EPA per play on those pass plays on the fast plays wasn't good. So you're like, well, the, the idea of we're going to sacrifice the built-in advantage that moving a receiver around gives us in order to play tempo, to tire out the defense and to get them off balance and to make them a step slow, it isn't working. Or if it is, it's taking you from a, like a terrible... Or showing up later. So that's the tough part to quantify. It's showing up later in the game. And it, so it really is a big part of the spread offense. Gus Malzahn, at, when he was at Auburn and all that stuff, a big part of it was like not even we want to run a ton of successful plays. It really was. We just want to run a ton of plays because we believe in the fourth quarter. So we'd have to, I think to really study that studying like fourth quarter EPA and different things like that would be the the way to do it. And then if, and I'm guessing that's going to be noisy and you're not going to find anything. So your point is probably right, which is maybe take your time. Yeah. You know, I mean, use it, some of the tactics that have been shown to create more productive plays. Right. At this point, there's very little evidence that that tempo tactic is as effective in the NFL as it certainly is in college, right? Let me just let me just say this: I, I, it's a pivotal year for a lot of guys. Going back to our our friend Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly has a good track record of things like getting an incredible year out of Nick Foles, got a career year out of Mark Sanchez, uh, kind of you know, 2013 with the Eagles did some incredible things, but he never adjusted. And when he didn't right. adjust and got personnel power, and there was some not so good moves in there chip kelly was gone there's a lot of coaches that have to adjust you've mentioned the mcveigh thing for a while right sean mcveigh still has some adjusting to do cliff kingsbury certainly has 
some adjusting to do. It's really a big year, I think, for for some coaches in that boat um, who have to continue to be able to adjust to the yeah, league. I mean, who have, and they've had some early success. And Kingsbury has done a good job of doing that. Like the Cardinals last year, the average NFL team last year ran something like 29 plays in 10 personnel. That that uh, one back, zero tight ends, four wide receivers, empty set stuff, the, the, the air raid concepts that we thought were going to be like the, the staple of this offense. So the average NFL team ran something like 28, 29 of those plays in the season. The Cardinals were over 150 after four weeks. Yeah. Now, they finished at like 260, so they massively dialed it back over the remainder of the season, which is the point. Like, he's already seen the things, some things within this offense that clearly don't function at the NFL level, right? He started off, and he's like, we're going to run a ton of 10 personnel. We're going to get them off balance the same way we did in college. And NFL defenses are just better than that, and it doesn't work. So we went, okay, let's let's change. Let's dial it back. They still ran the most 10 personnel of anybody in the NFL, but it wasn't, you know, where it was to start the season. So he's already shown that, like, he is willing and able to make significant adjustments to this offense. I think another one that he has to make is moving around receivers and accepting this is like the Aaron Rodgers stuff, you know, motion, bunch formations, play action. There are three or four of these things that every offense in the NFL needs to tick because they're just cheat codes. They're just advantages that if you're not making use of, you're just leaving meat on the bone. You're leaving extra plays on the table. I, I think I think Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals should be tapping into Max Williams at tight end sure. a little bit more. I, I think Max Williams is he's a very good run-blocking tight end. He's a good receiver, too. Only had nine targets last year on 108 receiving snaps. I mean, that's the other thing is playing to your personnel. And it's not bringing a system to the NFL. It's bring, it's putting the personnel into your system and, and maximizing them. And if, he, if Kingsbury can do that with Rondell Moore tap into Max Williams a little bit more. Who knows what they'll get from A.J. Green, but you still have a Christian Kirk. You still have an Andy Isabella. It's a lot of different skill sets. It's that basketball team mentality. He has them to tap into. I mean, of course, DeAndre Hopkins being one of the best in the NFL. So I think the pieces are there. So it is. I think it's a big year for Kingsbury. So getting back to Joe Burrow, um, I wanted to ask, so let's the, the, the conversation up until now has been like, will he come back healthy from that knee injury and look like the same guy? Now, because of all the hype and, and what's being reported in training camp when nobody's hitting and there's no pads and blah, blah, blah. Uh, like, how good can the Bengals be? If Joe Burrow comes back and is closer to the prospect we thought he would be than the guy we saw as a rookie who was good but not great, and there were some questions about you know a few parts of his game, if he comes back and looks more like what we expected to see from Joe Burrow, how good can the Bengals be next year? I'm still a little worried about their the defensive side of the ball and we're in that boat too we spent the whole offseason just talking about their offensive line and just debating well they need a receiver which they didn't technically need but they did right mm -hmm. you want to be three deep we like that and their offensive line their defense still you know it's trey waynes and cheetah bay Awuzier in the secondary the Awuzier move i liked and mike hilton was a nice addition there the linebackers haven't been good for years and they just invested heavily on Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson on the defensive line at, at edge. They're good players. They're good players. It's a pretty heavy investment for guys that I think are good, not great. So I think the defense has some question marks. Yeah. But I think the Bengals can be really good. I, I would say Burrow can play like a tier two quarterback, which immediately makes you a, 
a potential eight to 10 win team. I'm now, because of what we saw from Josh Allen, I'm now really intrigued by quarterbacks that just sucked passing deep yeah. for a year. Now, listen, this was the argument. This was one of the things I clung to in my Sam Darnold <laughs> analysis. Sam Darnold at USC was excellent. Short, intermediate, yeah. accuracy was good. But uh, grading was good. Intermediate stuff was incredible. And it was like his deep ball is just off. He doesn't have great yeah. touch and he misses and this and that. And I was like, well, when you get the right receivers, you have a few more open throws. The same arguments are always made. And that never really happened for Sam Darnold. Two it points. did happen for Josh Allen. Two points, though, that I would make. One is there's a difference between college and the NFL, obviously. Sure. And two, Burrow has shown it before. Like we've seen Burrow with a deep ball. <laughs> I looked up. I was like, hey, that's me. <laughs> like, we've seen Joe Burrow be extremely accurate on deep passes. It's not like that isn't there. It just has. It just wasn't there as a rookie. So last year, the in terms of PFF grade on everything except the deep ball, right? Here's a list of quarterbacks. Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow. Ahead of Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, Tannehill, blah, blah, blah. So... Really, what like Burrow's deep ball was bad. I'm I, no make no bones about it. it wasn't it was horrendous good. last yeah, year. Really yep. bad. But Allen was the same thing the year before, right? Actually, a really good, really well graded quarterback on everything other than the deep ball. Deep ball was, I think, the worst in the NFL. Josh Allen in twenty nineteen. Our conversation last year at this time. If he finds a deep ball, but you were all, but I mean, you were like laughing at at him too at how bad some of his throws were. I mean, they were landing, comical. They were they were landing out of bounds. Like yeah. it was off. It was, it was ridiculous. Yes. Um, but we were saying if he finds a deep ball, there is a big step to be made immediately. Now we didn't anticipate the step he made, but like I'm now in because that happened because the precedent is there. I'm now really interested by the idea that Joe Burrow in year two with Jamar Chase there right. now and, and has and, the capacity to take a big leap. And part of deep ball success is a little dependent on the receivers. Sure, I mean, the actual like results definitely depend heavily yeah. on the receivers, but even just throwing the ball accurately. You have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins now mm -hmm. as uh, downfield threats. Let's also not forget, Burrow was thrown to A.J. Green, who had the second low. I mean, he was Nikhil Harry-esque yeah. at getting open last year. He was Nikhil hurting. Harry, the guy that is can't find a place to play yes. because he can't get open. And that's how A.J. Green played. A.J. Green was hurting Joe Burrow last season. It sounds ridiculous. And before the year, we were saying, hey, keep A.J. Green around because it'll help Burrow. Yeah. Like, he was genuinely hindering Joe Burrow last season because he was so bad at getting separation. So every target you sent his way was effectively a bad decision. We have to get down to training camp and go see this hype. Can we get down? Can we get over there? Bengals, are you listening? Let us let us into training camp so we can see Joe. Yeah. But I'm so I, I mean I'm now really fascinated by this idea of hey if Burrow takes a big step forward. Because look, Joe Burrow okay it was a limited sample size, but Burrow the prospect, Burrow the draft quarterback was as good as we've ever seen um and that's happened like this has been the, the bar is being moved you know sequentially higher like the olympics where it just keeps getting up 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 like baker was the best we'd ever seen and then kyla murray's season rivaled anything we saw from baker and then joe burrow was another step higher again um so it's it has been sort of getting edged up over the last few years but that year of burrow at lsu was phenomenal it was incredible he did not have one bad game did it all in the SEC. Even though defense is getting worse in the SEC, right. it's still not at that Big Twelve level. When still, Baker there was wasn't there. that question mark. Right. Um, he was he was just phenomenal, and he didn't. Burrow did not have a great offensive line. Right. At LSU, 
you know, like Baker had pristine offensive line, great play caller, great playmakers, everything. Burrow definitely had great playmakers and Joe Brady as uh, at yeah. play you know, as a play caller, but he was still running for his life a little bit at LSU as well. All right, man. Anything else you want to touch on here, minor league, Steve? Uh, Will Fuller's hurt already. It's, uh, it's football season once again. Will Fuller dealing with some stuff. I would take that chance every time. Yeah. Take it's a shame. I mean, he's time. one of those players. You think about this all the time, that like there are certain players in the NFL that you wish you could just, you know, ding the magic wand and they wouldn't get hurt anymore. Tyler Eifert's of the world, that kind of thing. Yeah. And Will Fuller's rapidly getting himself into that category. That If you could just make sure Will Fuller didn't get hurt every year, you'd be in business. Kelly says, it looks like I'm looking at a skinny version of you Yeah. when I sent her the picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm impressed that you got the look this close. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it's it, all credit goes to the the good people at the Jock Wig Company who had it nailed. I didn't. I thought I was going to have to have some rename it Steve's hair. I thought I was going to have to get like you know the big afro wig and then take scissors to it and try and like shoehorn that into something appro approaching your hair. But they actually had one. They had they had a Steve haircut. We should do dueling froes. You get the fro wig, and I'll wear my fro wig, and we'll we'll just have a, fr a double fro show at some yeah, point as well. Not, maybe not. I do kind of wish he had the. I, I like the, the chest hair under the jersey right. look. That's Greg Maddox style. Yeah. That's that's look. It's, that's a baller look. But it, I, I the turtleneck though. I, I was hoping to see the turtleneck. Look, it's very hot inside. Under the under the jock wig yeah. is a warm place to be. I wasn't adding a turtleneck. And you that. went with the lighter jacket, the big league Giants jacket, instead yeah. of the big league Mariners jacket that I gave you. Right. The Mariners one is very very cozy. Yeah, yeah. Very cozy. I, I don't want that. I mean, it's. When I, you're playing up in Tacoma, Washington, yeah, it's chilly and it's there. raining, Sea Tank, every single night. It just yeah. we just sat out in the bullpen in the rain. You need you need the heavy turtleneck, heavy jacket. Have you seen the uh, the cart that the Olympics are using? The bullpen cart? No, it's How like they, rather, that's that's old school baseball there, right? Yeah. Well, it looks like it's a regular, almost like the injury cart, except on the back where the like the the platform is for the player. It's like a giant baseball glove as a seat. <laughs> so the guy sits oh, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. thing and they like they yeah, yeah, drag yeah. him there. That's all, yeah, Whoa. that's old school. That's what they do in ball's Japan. gone. My bad. I almost played in Japan. Oh, yeah. You just dropped the ball. That's not good. No, no, I yeah. fumble. Fumble. <laughs> yeah, that's not ideal. I just gave up a run. Let's go let's go take some batting practice. You look like you're you're ready for it. Oh, I could, I could Well, thanks to minor league Sam, uh Sam, minor league Steve oh, for minor being Steve. here. Skinny Steve. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back. We'll have Monday. Uh, when are we? Are we going to go to three shows during the season? Yeah, is that the plan? Mm -hmm. So we'll start that week one, probably. So those are four. some of the things coming up. Uh, week one, we'll be going three shows a week. I think that middle show, we've gotten a lot of good feedback on. The people love other PFF guests. Yeah, the people love having guys like Eric Eager on, Brad Spielberger, whoever it might be. Thank so you, I think by the way, to everybody that. that filled in that survey. They are always very helpful, and we got uh, hundreds of responses. So The survey you. was, yes, very helpful. We're going to uh, implement some of the feedback, not all of it. There was a lot of more minor league baseball story feedback. I will take This is like feed. all the minor league baseball anything you need for the next several weeks. Go and donate, by the way. If you haven't already, I'm not dressing up like this for nothing. We've already raised more than our goal but there's still be time. So head to uh, PFF underscore Sam. It's my pinned tweet. Uh, go donate a few bucks for right. the kids. We'll go, we'll get to, um, we'll get to our next charity event here. Yeah. The next one we did, we did the men. 
This is the kids. It's women's charity time. I have I have a women's uh, addiction uh, drug addiction recovery charity that we could use. Okay. So I think uh, let me just let me just double check that. Make sure we do that, and that'll be the next one. And we'll figure out what goofy thing Steve's going to do. Yeah. Maybe maybe it will be Josh Allen jerseys. We'll see what happens. Can't believe I have this facial hair now. Looks good, man. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. Uh, by Monday, you. training camps in full swing. Uh, yeah. We got to start our team. Uh, team previews right yeah we're gonna get get going we'll get to some team previews we got all sorts of great stuff coming up also don't forget to get to pff.com you're probably doing your fantasy drafts right around now over these next couple weeks i promise you you won't find anything better than the fantasy tools over at pff.com i promise okay win like us i believe you any last words minor league steve i, well, I want to cherish league, this let's keep the show going what would minor league steve say what's your what do you have a catchphrase like slogan I don't want to say so <laughs> listen now you have to I used to do a little self-talk this is like uh in the UFC there's this uh, women's fighter called Rose Namajunas who like literally five seconds before the fight starts you know the dude's like giving it the the on the microphone and she's over there going just yelling at herself I'm the best I'm the best and then like you know ding ding shh you think that's Wins weird? championship. Were, were you doing that? Was that was that minor league Steve? Oh, so um, yeah, there were points in my career, like sometimes like day games, you'd be dragging a little bit. Yeah. Just think about it. You play night games every day. Uh-huh. You're up late. And so day game, it's like, it's almost like playing when you're used to like waking up and all that. Right. Stuff. Just everything's off. So sometimes you felt tired or whatever. So I'd have to, you have to get up for the, your performance. Right. And I worked like, I don't know, like 15 minutes a week. You know, you pitch like one inning here, one inning there. You only, you're only out there for like 15, 20 minutes <laughs> in a given week of actual work. Yeah. Um, so I would throw my last warm-up pitch, and then I would yell into my glove. I'd say, feel great. Okay. Dominate. Right. That was, what I, that was my – and I would kind of yell it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And so, the, you know, the catcher throws the ball to second base to start the inning, and then they get the ball back to you. And my second baseman used to always think that I was yelling at them. They'd be like, what did I do? You know, so I would – I'd yell into my glove, and that was my way of just kind of getting all jacked up for the inning. You know what we need? You know the the social graphics that we do on Twitter? <laughs> we need like a quote graphic, right? That's minor league Sam. Like, this shot, right? The camera here, and then it's the quote graphic that simply says, I work like 15 minutes a week. <laughs> dash PFF Steve. I only do about I need that 15 quote. minutes somebody, of actual right, some, work. Somebody make that happen. I need a picture of me in this idiot getup, and I need the you know I need the quote from That's at PFF underscore Steve. Relief pitcher I work Steve. like 15 minutes a week. Somebody make that happen. You only pitch three or four innings. They're about four or five minutes a piece. Unless you get lit up, it might be more t- you know, <laughs> 10 minute inning. If you're out there for like a 30, sometimes you get like a 30 minute inning. I was gonna and say, what's the longest lit. you've ever been? Just like having people ding the ball over your head. Let me tell you the uh, Colorado spring story really quick. Okay. I may have told it already, but Colorado, the thin air of Colorado, of course, nightmare. is so tough. To it really is tough to breathe. <laughs> I ran, I ran a few sprints before the game, and I was like, man, are you supposed to run like 10 sprints as like your workout. You for don't the day? seem like you don't have the best endurance at the best of times, let alone at altitude. This was bad. I ran three sprints before the game. I couldn't even catch my breath. Right. <laughs> so then. I had to, you know, get into the game. And this is where I used to joke. Everybody, the starting pitchers used to get Colorado Springs-itis. Right. They'd be like, ah, I got the, yeah, yeah. the four-day shoulder bug here. You know, I got to miss a start. Because I'll be okay you two get days from up. now when we're not here. Right. You get lit up there. So anyway, I, I had to hit in this one particular outing. So I, and, and I made a pact with myself as a kid. I said, I'm going to play the game hard. I'm going to run hard to first base. I'm never going to jog. Okay. So I actually made contact, right. AAA game. 
ground ball to short, and like I it. sprint to first base. I have no shot of beating it out, but I sprinted. I made the second out of the inning. I go back to the dugout, and I am huffing and puffing. <laughs> I am completely out of breath. And then the guy gets out, third out, and I got to go out to pitch. And I am still yeah. out of breath. So first pitch of the inning, guy pops it up. I'm like, oh, this is great. One pitch, one out. First baseman, foul territory, drops it. So should have been one out. That mm-hmm. guy gets on base. Long story short, I end up giving up eight runs. <laughs> I mean, I am still trying to catch my breath. I'm getting lit up. I, the first baseman dropped it. The right fielder lost a ball in the lights. And it just goes by him for like a triple. And I'm still trying to catch my breath out here. And I go from like, you know, I, I'm going to sneak through this inning to like eight runs later. Not yeah. all earned. Some unearned runs. Are, you know, you know that. They, unearned runs, they don't blame you. They like, you gave up the run, but it was really the defense's fault. Right. Yeah. Like seven of them were like unearned out of the eight. <laughs> Um, so it saved my ERA, but um, I'll never forget just playing in the thin air of Colorado Springs, and you're hoping for every little break to go your way, and they all yeah. went the the other way, and I, you know, I got lit up. Mm. It was bad. <laughs> so uh, I didn't want nobody wants to pitch yeah. in Colorado Springs for no. a reason. Crazy stuff happens, and when you give up a home run, it's like it goes off like into like outer space mm. because like the clouds are like right there. It just you hit give up home runs into the clouds. So uh, yeah. The two forty three, that's unfortunate. So uh, yeah, if you're a if you're a pitcher, just jog. Yeah, just don't jog. run, don't sprint. You don't have to play the game hard. No. You don't have to play. We're in Cincinnati. That's Pete another, Rose would never do that. That's another quote tweet. Yeah, you don't have to play the game hard. If you're going to be out, BFF, you just Steve. just jog it out. Mm. You know, Pete Rose would never let you do that. We could do like a whole series of inspirational motivate. You know those black black motivational quote posters. <laughs> just PFF Steve. I only work fifteen minutes a week, and then you don't have to play the game hard. We could have you a don't. whole series of them. You don't. Playing the game hard is overrated. Just get guys out. That's all. You, that's your job as a pitcher. Mm-hmm. You don't have to run down the first base. No. Learned it the God, hard no. way. I uh, still hit better in AAA than Tim Tebow, though. So Let's <sighs> go. Well, it's been a great show. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks to everybody for dealing with the uh, minor league stories. But minor league Steve over here looks great. It's all because of what you guys did with the charity drive. We'll do more of that. We appreciate all the interaction from our listeners. Don't forget the PFF Daily is back as well. And I will still be giving away... Uh, I will be giving away PFF Edge to someone on the next show that sends a screenshot of a subscription to the PFF NFL podcast and the PFF NFL daily. Okay. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you Monday. Wave minor league, Steve. <laughs>